right, folks, welcome back into Behind the Yellow Line, number 72 here. As we record this on Thursday night, June 9th, the Cubs coming off maybe their worst loss of the year. An absolute dud in Baltimore. They get rained out last night, and you know it's going to be tough this weekend in New York. But we got a lot to talk about. A huge Major League debut for the Cubs in the last week. Wilson Contreras agrees to terms with the Cubs on what his salary is going to be for this year. Uh, also, lots else to get into across Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. But I do want to start with this, Jeremy. Happy birthday to you. The belated birthday. It was your birthday earlier in the week. Hope it was a good one for you. It was. It was a good one. I'm now in the, I guess, was it the year of the Cole Hamels? Uh, we'll wait, Justin Steele. You're in the steel year, absolutely. Steel yeah, Jeremy, year. A, a happy birthday to you, the, the third and final BTYL birthday of the year. We, we don't get to do this again until next January, Ronan. I know how heartbroken you are that you have to go the entire rest of the calendar year without wishing somebody on this show a happy birthday. Well, once again, you're wrong because we're going to celebrate your half birthday, Randall, because your normal birthday happens in the off season. So that is correct. Coming up here in a couple of weeks, we'll do the uh, half birthday of January All right. 13th. All right. And we'll see how the Cubs have fared. Now, coming up before the end of the show today, Jeremy's going to do something that I did a couple of weeks ago on my birthday. Look back on historic wins, notable losses, how the Cubs have fared historically on June 6th. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, but Jeremy, I hope it was a good one for you. Uh, it's been a wild week for Cubs baseball. You had that long homestand. The Brewers were in. The Cardinals were in a five-game series at Wrigley Field. And uh, what I want to start with isn't so much the win on Thursday. It was probably the most important game of that five-game stretch, at least for this Cubs team, the Major League debut of Caleb Killian. Now, I didn't get to see it. I was about 8,000 feet up in the air, camping, didn't have cell service. I was sitting at the fire going, I know Wrigley Field is presumably full right now. It's a rivalry game. This up-and-coming star is on the mound. I was in my own world, though. Give me a sense of, I've seen the numbers. Everybody who's listening to this now knows how he performed in that game. But was that one of those moments when he took the field where Wrigley Field was electric again? I don't know that I would call it electric. I don't know that I particularly noticed the crowd. Now, I will freely admit that that could be the national broadcast who does not give a shit about the crowd. They're far more interested in letting A.J. Przinsky talk and talk and talk some more, but crowd or no crowd, it, it's real easy to dream on a guy like Caleb Killian. And we saw it all on display perfect through the first three innings, the fourth inning got away from him. And you know, a guy making his major league debut, his mind has to be going a million miles an hour. It's understandable, but it's easy to dream. You saw the mid to upper nineties uh, on the velocity. You saw the cutter, you saw the breaking stuff. You saw a guy who I think is going to be very fun to watch and watch develop in the Cubs major league rotation for a number of seasons to come. And I hope sooner versus later we're looking back on that debut the way we're looking we look back on Kyle Hendricks major league debut against Cincinnati some years ago but it was it was exciting is what it was yeah I, th I thought there was a vibe I, I now once again I, I was like Randall I wasn't there I was watching it on uh, my television but uh, I, I I thought there was a vibe and it came across I mean you have like one of the kind of moments of the year um, that everybody's been looking forward to there as where well, there's not much to look forward to, you know, this, in this 2022 season that, you know, you have Caleb Killian coming in the guy that you got for Chris Bryant st uh, starting a game on a Saturday night, a double header, a national broadcast against your arch rival, the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I thought, wow. I thought that was pretty uh, intense out there. And as Randall mentioned, you know, he went perfect nine up nine down in the first three innings before, you know, a little bit of trouble as, as, as you said, uh, a couple walks in the fourth inning, unfortunately a wild pitch scored a run. And then Brendan Donovan actually did hit a ball pretty hard for a double, but he came back. He came back from that and pitched pretty well. Uh, got didn't give up any more than that. He gave up those three runs, unfortunate, but came back in the fifth, had a pretty good fifth inning and only 83 pitches in, uh, he got the pole. Now, I mean, obviously, you're not going to really push him in his major league debut. You want him coming out feeling good about himself. You know, it's he's coming, he's going right, going right back down. He was only up for the double header, but I thought it was a pretty solid start. I thought it was a pretty successful start. He showed he could pitch in the majors. I thought he got a lot of swing uh, and misses. He had a lot of whiffs. Um, obviously, the same thing there. But um, I was I was excited about him. I thought this is a guy who's shown he could be a major league starter in his first start. And I'm excited to see where that goes from there. And I think even more important than him, the, the game just kind of catching up to him a little bit in that fourth inning, he came back 
out for the fifth inning and he pitched a, a clean inning and moved on from it. And that's a big thing too. He didn't let that rough inning get to him. He went right back out there. His manager put him right back out there. He overcame it and he finished out the game strong. There's a lot to like about that debut. And I think there will be a lot to like when he eventually, as Jeremy suggested uh, recently, when he comes up and stays up and we get to watch him develop at the big league level going forward. So there's a lot to like about that debut and we'll get to this later. I, I need to say it now. Brendan Donovan is such a perfect microcosm of every POS Cardinals infielder <laughs> we've seen in the last decade. It's like they grew him in a vat. I, I don't want to take up too much. I, I just need to get that off my chest. He needs to get the Brendan Donovan hate. I out need there. to, I need to get the Brendan Donovan out there. I need to get so, him out of here. The one thing I would say though, I, I not that I would be concerned, you know, but I, I will say, and you know, obviously coming out your first major league start, as I said, Saturday night, national TV, St. Louis Cardinals, you're probably gonna be amped up, but he did lose a little bit of velocity over the time period. Like he was throwing 97, 98 in the first inning. And then it's kind of more 94, 95 in the fourth, fifth inning. So that's one thing I think, I guess I would just kind of more keep a track on. And I think that kind of, kind of goes with why they didn't really call him up so much earlier on. Cause I think that's kind of tracked with how he's been in at yeah. Iowa. But, uh, you know, other than that, I, I thought it was a very successful debut. Yeah, and he's been on a pretty strict pitch count in the minors as well. He went deep into the Arizona Fall League, a lot of innings on that arm, and you know you need a lot of innings from that arm over the next couple of years. So I imagine even if he does come up and stay up in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be very careful with him this year. Five innings, maybe six innings every once in a while will be fine, and you're thinking big picture with a guy like that. Yeah, I, I, as I said, as we, Randall just said, you know, when he comes up, you want him to stay up. And I, I, I just think there's a little bit more, I, I think, when he goes back to Iowa to work on, to learn from this first experience, just to get kind of like that finished product when you're, you're, you're up at Wrigley Field and, and, and where, he, as we said, he's not going back down. And I, 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 I thought he pitched, even that fourth inning, like it was just kind of like nibbling on the edges, kind of a little bit of a walk, kind of lost it. But he never got really hit hard or anything. That Donovan ball is kind of the hardest ball that was hit all night. So I, I thought he, as I said, I thought he was pitched very successfully against a pretty good lineup. You know, Goldschmidt going off, Arenado. None of those guys really went off against him. Well, it seems like the pitching in general was very good that day, uh, except for Rucker when you got into the extra innings and then the game obviously gets away from the Cubs. Uh, I know we've talked about this extensively and we know he's not going to be a Cub too much longer, but David Robertson, this has been just an incredible story this year. And in that ball game uh, to be on the mound for two and a third innings, four strikeouts, this has been whatever you want to say about the Cubs this year, this has been one of the great comeback stories in baseball, what he's been able to do. And the good news for the Cubs is it's going to yield probably a decent return here in a couple of weeks. He's been great. That was fantastic. Uh, which is why I, you know, you want him to pitch that, that inning in extras because you knew the, the, the middle of the lineup was coming up for them and to throw in, you know, whatever bottom of the barrel, uh, no offense to Michael Rucker that the Cubs had after going through a whole double header, a five game series, it was kind of like, okay, once they got the extras and the Cubs didn't convert it, it was kind of over. But I think Jed has shown the last couple of years, like he knows how to build a bullpen. And, you know, we make some of these signings, David Robertson, Michael Givens, Chris Martin, and people who are kind of like, okay, you know, they veterans, whatever, but they've come here. They've, they figured things out. David Robertson has been phenomenal as a Cubs uh, pitcher, and he's been one of the best closers in baseball so far. And, you know, he's going to be traded probably in a month, yeah. but if that's what you want, I mean, you, obviously eventually you're going to want him to like, you know, have 50 saves or whatever, and be the guy for your team when you're making the playoffs, but to convert him into a, uh, an asset, I assume what the Cubs get back for him. Uh, that's what you want to do. And, and I, I will also want to compliment David Ross for throwing David Robertson in like the seventh inning in a key spot. Most guys wouldn't do that with their closer. Yeah. You know, one of these seasons we'll get to again, enjoy a Cubs closer and not think about what they're going to get back, what you're going to get back for them at mid season. And I, I think we all, those of us who are watching the game, I think we all, kind of felt that when the Cubs couldn't score after Roberts, Robertson came out of the game, it was pretty much over because as Jeremy said, you had a bullpen that had been used and abused the last few days. And it was like the Cardinals were going out there with a runner on second to start the inning because they were to hell with this stupid rule. But as soon as Robertson came out, you had a pretty good idea that the Cubs weren't going to be able to hold the Cardinals down a whole lot longer. Unfortunately, it did transpire that way that losing an extras on back-to-back -back days on yeah. that, damn rule that hurts a lot especially when they had 
two real good shots to win it in the Sunday night game. They had second and third tie game, only one away. And Frazier struck out. And uh, who, who am I thinking of the Higgins Higgins, unfortunately Higgins. Higgins, unfortunately bounced right back to the pitcher. It's really, it's a really rough way to lose because you can give up back-to-back pretty cheap hits and it still drives in the go ahead run. It's a rough way to lose. It's an even rougher way to lose on back-to-back games. And it's an even rougher way to lose on back-to-back games on national TV where the broadcasters are there to deepen your misery. That is their sole goal. And the less I see of that rule, the better I am. Well, I, I agree with you, Randall. I, I would like the Cubs to win all their ball games and regulation yes. in nine innings. I, I would prefer that. Uh, I do want to, you know, point out, like, you know, outside of that game against Baltimore, which obviously we're coming off of because we only come off of the worst games possible. Yeah. Um, but those were that was kind of a fun week. I mean, you were playing really competitive baseball against the Cardinals. You played competitive baseball against the Brewers. They were in all these games. You had these extra inning games. They were up and down. Uh, the, the Cubs, there were moments. I mean, Christopher Morrell has been just like exciting. He's made watching Cubs baseball exciting. And it's been, you know, you, you saw PJ Higgins come through with a big hit. Uh, unfortunately they didn't quite get it done, but you know, they won two out of uh, five against the Cardinals and two of those other games could have gone either way. I mean, those were all hard fought games. So I, I like, I know we're not, we all want the Cubs to win, but we don't want those games against the Orioles. I, I will take those exciting, even if they're coming out on the wrong end games against like the Cardinals and the Brewers that we saw before that. They, they were they were this extra innings rule away from taking four out of five against the Cardinals, who the league insists are good. I, I don't know that I buy that. But yeah, it, it was at the very least a competitive series. And again, right now, that's kind of all we can really hope for is that the games are somewhat interesting to watch. Well, I'll say this too, trying to get small victories. Maybe the Cubs have this ability that they're such a competitive team that once you beat the Cubs, it takes everything out of you. Cardinals haven't won since that series against the Cubs. The Brewers have lost six of seven, including six in a row. So the Brewers won the game after the series against the Cubs against the Padres. They lost the next three to the Padres, the next three to the Phillies, including a bunch of blowouts. So whatever it is with the Cubs this year, after you play the Cubs, you get kind of slapped around after it. And for the record, the entire National League Central has not won. Uh, Losing streaks all across the National League Central over the last couple of days. Yeah, and the Cubs, you know, I if you believe in like run differential, the Pythagorean theorem and all that stuff, you know, the Cubs have been underperforming. They should have a better record. Now they shouldn't have a winning record or a, they'll probably should be more four games under 500, but this is a team, a minus 16 run differential that they've been playing close games. They've been playing tough games. They've had a terrible record in one loss uh, games, which is not really, you know, predictable, uh, a skill that not really a skill one loss games. It's more outside factors. And I, I just, it's, it's been kind of, it, this team, this record, it looks worse than it is, but they, there's been, there's a lot of kind of bright spots on this team that have been kind of going under the radar, I think. And like I mentioned before, Morrell has been just absolutely yeah. fantastic in this time period. You know, you mentioned David Robertson. And so I, at some point, I, I do think the Cubs might go on a like a mini run here where they'll get a little bit, it's obviously going to all change at the deadline. But I, I do think they're, they're probably going to end up – it's a team that I think other teams shouldn't take for granted. Like, they're going to mostly be in games, and they're going to be they're going to be scrappy, the scrappy team. Yeah. Well, you got me thinking about two players. I want to start with this one. Uh, got to come back to Jason Hayward here. Yeah. The reason why I mentioned Jason Hayward is because of the way Christopher Morrell has been playing. The guy reaches base every game. He's got power. I think maybe the most impressive thing about Morrell to me, other than he's reached base in every game – is he's hitting the ball with authority all across the field. He's not just pulling the ball out for home runs. He's crushing the ball over 100 miles per hour to the opposite field. He did that in Baltimore. So he's doing everything right. Saya comes back. Hayward's got to go, right? Like, I I know we were talking up to this point. Is Hayward going to make it to the end of the year? Then they DFA him. You've got to be at the finish line with Hayward at this point, right? You have to be objectively. There is no reason to keep Jason Hayward on this roster. David Ross, maybe will tell you it's his leadership. It's his veteran presence that helps some of the younger guys. And I get it. David Ross and Jason Hayward go back a long way. And, but at some point you have to be objective and you have to realize there's not a spot for this guy on the roster anymore. Make up an injury, keep him on as a coach. If you want 
objectively, there is no good reason to keep Jason Hayward on this roster when next you need a roster move and when Saya is eligible to come off the I.L. I, I don't think uh, Jason Hayward is, is long for the roster. You know, that there was I, I always kind of defended, you know, given there's not really anybody pushing him. There's nobody you really are trying to give time to. So you might want to give him, you know, whatever opportunity he has to like to, to, just to see if something's there. And maybe you can maybe somebody will try. But we're getting to that point where, you know, it's almost the middle of the season. We're almost uh, we're almost in mid-June. And uh, he's kind of shown he is who he is. Right. And it's, it's not like his defense. He's getting older. His defense is kind of not as great anymore. Yeah. So if there's a roster spot that needs to be had, I, I, he's got to be an odd man out. I mean, I, you wish him well, you, you, you thank him for everything he did as a cub. He was always off the field for the most part, a great member of the Chicago Cubs and the community of Chicago. Um, so I, I will not, I will always have love in my heart for all pretty much the 2016 Cubs, but Jason Hayward as well. Um, and you know, signing him was just a huge deal. It was kind of like a moment. It's like, okay, we yeah. took him from the Cardinals. That was like a big deal. Um, but you know, all great stories have come to an end at some point, even if it wasn't a great story necessarily on the field. Um, but I agree with you guys. I think at this point, if there's a roster spot that needs to be had, Jason Hayward's gotta, it's gotta be the guy out. Like there's no reason to keep giving him playing time. Yeah. Um, yeah, you gotta eat some money, but goodness, they're middle of the pack and payroll. It's liable to go down in the next couple of weeks. It's just not working out. (laughs) And to your point, Jeremy, the defense, he's, he's not an elite defender anymore, you know? And the leadership thing, like, you got coaches. You got other people in the clubhouse. There's other things going on that are more important than just Jason Hayward's leadership. And World Series hero, love you forever. It's just time to make it happen. Yeah, and at this point... It's a veteran team. I mean, even if... Sure. We yeah, all think but, all young guys. There's a lot of veterans out there. So the leadership thing is kind of like, okay. And there's no trading him, right? There, there's no, no team's going to take no, him. No, absolutely and, and, not. And no team's going to take him for any money you know so it's like let's just cut it tell him he's always welcome at wrigley field if he wants to try and latch on with one other team go for it he's still kind of young i guess you know he's 32 old for a baseball player but you know young in his life he's got his whole life ahead of him and an amazing retirement coming it's just time for that to end Uh, another player that i wanted to ask you both about a guy who's been really bad and pretty damn good in two months of baseball this season is Patrick Wisdom. Awful for the first month, pretty good for the last month. Uh, He's now reached about 160 games or so as a Chicago Cub over three years. He's hit 40 home runs as a Chicago Cub. So Patrick Wisdom's 30, pretty good defender. He's got some power, obviously some holes in his game. Is this a guy you think is in the mix the rest of the year, or is this a guy the Cubs try to move? Because if you keep him, he's cheap. At the same time, what window really do you think you have with a guy like Patrick Wisdom? I, I don't – oh, you can go around. My Patrick Wisdom take is I don't know that you need to force him out the door. If some team comes to you and gives you a really good prospect option for Patrick Wisdom, absolutely. I don't think he's a guy who should be starting every day necessarily. Um, I think he's a guy who is a great – option off the bench, maybe on a contending team. And it's funny, Patrick Wisdom, he does one thing especially well, and that, of course, is hit homers. And he does that well enough that it props up the entire rest of his stat line, really. So, yeah, I do think he probably is a good bet to play out the string. But if some team comes to you and says, hey, we'll give you a real decent prospect for Patrick Wisdom, absolutely feel free to trade him. You don't you don't need to let him keep you from making a move that will help the team going forward, but you don't need to force him out the door either. I kind of agree with that, Randall. I, I I think that he's not a guy like I would necessarily shop. I wouldn't be like, you know, looking around Patrick Wisdom. Do you want Patrick Wisdom? Um, but if somebody wants him and they're willing to pay for him, yeah, I wouldn't move him. I, I but I, I think that he he's kind of shown, as you said, we're on 160 game mark. Um, we're coming up on you know two years of Patrick Wisdom uh over time and he's been kind of the same guy he was in last year and he's the same guy he was this year so maybe he'll be that same guy in the future and yeah he's 30 years old he's going to start to hit that kind of a decline phase but you know maybe when the cubs are good there'll be a spot for him on the roster uh i wouldn't necessarily like have him locked down for a spot on for him on the roster but remember like chris Coughlin was like a 2014 cub 2013 cub nobody would have thought he would be like 
a huge key piece of a World Series championship team when he was on the Cubs, but he ended up being that. He ended up kind of proving a spot after years of kind of failing after a rookie of the year. He came through and proved it, and maybe there's a room for Patrick Wisdom where he's, he's got power, as Randall said. He can do that. He could play a serviceable third base. Um, he's not terrible over there. So is there a room for that if he's proven that? And I, I say you kind of hold on to him unless, as Randall said, somebody comes there and say, hey, we want to trade for him. We want some power. We need some power from the left side or excuse, the left side of the infield, I meant to say. Um, that uh, it, I, I, That's how I would feel. I, I just don't think he's a guy you kind of push out the door, as Randall said. But I, I've been impressed by him. And it's unfortunate where he comes up in big spots because I always kind of want contact guys because I'm yeah. like, we need a single he's, here. He's not a contact guy. That is that is true. And does Patrick Wisdom's not going to give you a single. He's going to give you a homer or a strikeout. And I'm always like, I just need you to hit the ball in these extra inning games. Move the runner over, Patrick. Well, since the middle of May, so about a month ago, uh, 360 on base percentage. He's slugging in the 500s, striking out uh, one out of four at bats or one out of four plate appearances. So okay actually from Patrick Wisdom and he doesn't cost anything so I think this is an interesting case I I think everybody benefits from Patrick Wisdom playing really well over the next month it's good for us as Cubs fans it makes him maybe an interesting trade piece or it's part of his development as a major league player and somebody who could help this team down the road Um, so that's something I think we're going to be watching I'll also say I did get back to Denver Sunday afternoon and I was able to watch the Cubs Sunday night game that in-game interview with Patrick Wisdom was just atrocious, awful television. But I was thinking, you know, it's one thing during spring training to have a major league baseball infielder mic'd up with uh, headphones on in the middle of a game while he's playing defense. That's insane. That's come and and technical issues making it distracting to him. That's got to stop. There's no reason for that. Interview someone in the dugout if you have to. You don't need to be interviewing players during a major league game when they're on the field. We beat the dead horse on a regular basis here, and I'm, I, I do apologize to the dead horse for this. But the the national broadcasts are just such a slog. They're such a challenge. They they make it so difficult to enjoy watching the game, even if the Cubs are winning handily. These broadcasts still find a way. And boy, if the Cubs are not winning handily, these broadcasts do not help. Right after they they gave up what would be the go-ahead runs again on Sunday night, what does ESPN flash up on the sidebar? First of all, they put on a sidebar when I'm trying to watch the damn game. Yeah. And what do they put on that sidebar? The Cubs' top trade candidates. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's insult to injury. It's salt in the wound. It's vinegar in the milkshake, which I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what I imagine an ESPN broadcast tastes like is mm. like a vinegar milkshake. It's it's I thought that the Cubs being bad was supposed to mean we didn't have to deal with national broadcasts. And unfortunately, ESPN refuses to heed that. And we still have to deal with it. Well, the Cubs still have uh, followers and are big, big draw. Yeah. So they'll always be on national TV. But to go back to uh, Ronan, what you were saying, I remember in 2020, I believe it was. When the White Sox are playing the A's in the playoffs, in the playoffs, as I do my Jim Mora. Yeah, I was uh, about to say a little bit of Jim Mora there. Playoffs. As the playoffs, they had White Sox players mic'd up on the infield. And I remember being like livid, just and I'm not just watching the White Sox being like, if that was my team, I would be so furious in a playoff yeah. game. Why are you conducting an interview in the middle of a game with a player in the field in the playoffs? I it just blew my mind. Like not even regular season, as you're saying. Playoff games. Yeah. It's crazy. And and then, you know, you know how frustrating it is whether you're at home listening to an iPod or you're on the phone with somebody and the line is crackling and breaking up. That's a really annoying thing. I can't imagine being a major league baseball player in a park of 30 some thousand people and all the noise that's in there. The amount of focus that you have to do in talking with the other infielders and calling play, you know, all the things you got to do as a ball player to have those idiots in the Sunday night booth chirping in your ear about your dance moves and, oh, you'd be hot on TikTok. Like, for Christ's sake, let the guy play baseball. Good God. But, you know, I know I'm preaching in the choir. I'm going to do one more thing, and then I want to pivot over here to David Bodie. Um, one thing I do want to bitch about with ESPN, <laughs> I watch a lot of MLB.TV, and I like it. Um, when I get annoyed with Cubs television, which unfortunately happens far too often than I care to admit, I change the audio feed to uh, radio. I love hearing Pat. Ron Coomer has grown on me so much. My disdain for Zach Zaidman will never go away. <laughs> but 
I like Pat. I like Coomer. I kind of got a soft spot for all the ads too. Uh, you know, Des Moines, Bedford White, Park, White Claw, Ride Your Wave. Yeah, I enjoy it. ESPN. I'm like, okay, I'm really not enjoying the Sunday night booth. I thought the ESPN app would give me the option to pull up the ESPN radio broadcast. Why wouldn't they, right? It's still ESPN. It's still their property. They could even make the case that it's two separate downloads, one video, one audio. That way I get Glanville, I get Boog, probably more bearable. ESPN app doesn't allow that. So here I am stuck laboring through a Sunday night baseball game. Cubs, Cardinals, Wrigley Field, some of my favorite thing in the world. And ESPN makes it damn near unwatchable. This team's bad. But that broadcast is worse, and that's something that uh, I wanted to get off my chest here. Uh, David Bodie, this is a guy that we were talking about. Cubs had to make a decision by yesterday. He was recovering from his most recent injury. The Cubs had to activate him or DFA him, cut him yesterday. Then we find out he's got another injury here. So he's experiencing some dizziness, gets pulled from a game in Iowa, and now it's back to question marks. Obviously, our top priority, we want David Bodie to be healthy. We want him to be okay. Dizziness could be a lot of things, most of them not good. But this is kind of weird. The story keeps getting a little bit stranger here with David Bodie. Yeah, dizziness, like you said, is odd. That, you know, a, a foot injury, a shoulder injury, something structural, something muscular, you at least a known quantity. Dizziness, like you said, that could be a lot of things. And as you said, none of them are good. So all the best to David Bodie. Hopefully he gets checked out and it turns out to be nothing particularly uh, nothing particularly terrible, but yeah, dizziness is scary. That can be a lot of things, neurological, cardiovascular. None of those things are good, whether you're a pro athlete or not. And, and Bodie's becoming, you know, this like injury prone guy with these kind of freak accidents. Uh, we were at the game Ronin last year where the Padres game, yeah. Reds game, Reds game, I think the Reds game where he separated his shoulder. Then I it was on the South side where he stepped yeah. on a baseball and during warmups. And now he's got, you know, on his rehab assignment coming up, you know, pretty much the day of he's got these other issues and it's, it's tough. It's tough for, I've always liked David Bodie. I've always kind of rooted for him. He hits the ball really hard, which I enjoy. And I've always thought there's more in there. He could be that guy. And it's just kind of not working out this year. I I think that, you know, at some point we're coming to the point where we got to see if David Bodie is part of this team for the future. He has a contract. Uh, He's been around for a while and, but he hasn't really quite ever produced at, the, at that expectation level. I, you know, you remember in Arizona a couple of years ago where he hit those two homers and Zobris was like, give him my job, just let him take it. And he hasn't really ever quite kind of grown into that. And so I, I, I feel for him and I want him to get healthy, uh, both for him personally, but also for the Cubs to like, know what do we have here? And is this a guy who, as we talk about guys like Patrick Wisdom, is David Bodie a guy who can be a part of any kind of Cubs contending, uh, you know, core roster? That's kind of an important question that we need to find out. And so I hope he gets better soon. You know, the thing about that injury he had on the south side, that was last August. You know how I bitch about advertising on the field? A baseball, baseballs are obviously white, was in the white on-field advertisement for uh, a guaranteed rate, which was like white paint on the field. He didn't see the baseball because there's an ad on the field. He tripped over the baseball and got injured. Made my case there about let's get the ads off the field. Um, But yeah, we got to see what's going on with David Bodie. Uh, Of current Cubs major leaguers, here we are, middle of June. Wilson Contreras finally has his salary for this season. Cubs and Contreras avoid arbitration. They make a deal here just before going to an arbitration hearing. It's one year, $9.625 million. It's uh, right in the middle between what the Cubs are offering and what Wilson was asking for. And uh, internet blew up a little bit with that info today. Some Cubs fans were saying, oh, this is great news. They reached a deal. Maybe they're talking to each other. Other Cubs fans said, why did it take until June 10th? to work out a couple hundred thousand dollar difference. Jeremy, where do you stand on this? Is this good news, bad news, or not really either? I think it's just news, to be honest. I, I don't think it's really either. I think, I, first of all, I don't think there was really urgent, like, I don't really see it as bad news, because I don't really think there was urgency from either side to really, you know, kind of deadline spur action. And, and today was pretty much the deadline with the arbitration hearing. And that's what it got. that's when it got done. Now, there was probably, for both sides, you know, just, some discussion well, you also have to remember the lockout occurred so that put everything on the backtrack yeah. so the cubs were you know doing a whole offseason in a couple of weeks then they have to deal with their you know guys that are actually on the roster 
And it probably allowed them, you know, to not have this done. You know, they're still negotiating. They were still talk, probably talking that, you know, maybe there's a possibility of working this into extension, talking. And finally, you know, the arbitration deadline's here. I, I, the only thing I guess this does is it just kind of makes me prepped and, and set for a Wilson trade. I think it's a Wilson trade is probably coming. I've accepted that. I made my peace with it. I kind of think it's probably the right move to do. But other than that, I don't really see – I think it just – was news like this was the time for this deal to be made there's not going to be an extension they both kind of knew it they had a degree and the deadline spurred the action of just actually getting it done today you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take the optimistic track here hmm. it's one less thing standing between these two parties and we knew there wasn't any bad blood between the two wilson has said it jed has said it, it it's a business i think all the players know that um, but it's one less thing for the two parties to disagree on. And arbitration hearings can be very unpleasant because the representation for the team and the representation for the player basically go back and forth and give reasons why the player deserves the higher salary uh, or reasons why the player deserves the lower salary. And they can be very unpleasant affairs. And the fact that the Cubs and Wilson were able to come to this last minute agreement. I'm going to take it as a good sign. I don't know that they will extend him. I like to think they're going to see the value of having their catcher and field general be with the team as they hopefully take their step into being contenders again. I'm, I'm going to take the optimistic track and say, this is a good sign. They didn't have to go to arbitration. They were able to agree. And it's, it's something that's out of the way and maybe they can get around to keeping Wilson around longer or at the very least, not making us deal with watching a, another beloved player leave town at the end of July or the beginning of August. So I'll take the optimistic track. I, I wish I shared that Randall. Um, I'm agreeing a little bit more with Jeremy. I'm preparing myself to see Wilson in another uniform here in the next couple of weeks. I really don't want to see that happen though. I'm also curious what he thinks a reasonable contract would be. Like if he is looking at an extension with the Cubs five years, does he want six or seven? I, I wouldn't want to give him seven years. That's for certain, but I'd be curious where that middle ground is. It's not like the Cubs have an abundance of high profile catchers ready to go, but they also don't need to sign a bad deal just because it's Wilson. Uh, Real Muto with the Phillies got five years, 115 million. I would absolutely consider giving Wilson that if he was willing to accept it. I would be good with that. I know that's a big money. I know that's a big money investment for a, a position that tends not to age terribly well, especially somebody like Wilson who plays all out all the time and ends up with a lot of hamstring foot issues from doing that. I would give him the Real Muto contract five years, 115 million. The thing, the thing about Real Muto, just pointing out it though, is uh. Rio Mioto is entering his age 28 year and Wilson is currently in his age 30 year going to be in his age 31 year next year. Uh, for me, I, I just think, you know, I, I don't think an extension is coming just because they made this for the sake of the, the reason is they made this deal is because I think they had all that time to really be negotiating. And I'm sure they were passing part, you know, some proposals back and forth. And I think they just really got to the point where it's like, okay, that's not going to happen. Cause, and now we just, since the extension is not going to happen, then we'll just make the deal for this year because that's what it is. And that, that's just my take on it. I could be wrong. I just, I just don't believe that. Um, and I think it really just kind of set you. Okay. It sets its contract for this year. It's good for the Cubs because now other teams know what his contract is for this year. They can budget for it. They can figure it out. And for me, I'm kind of now, you know, I love Wilson. He's been great. I, I was a little skeptical at him at the start. He never really was quite a good framer. And I think that also kind of contributed to some of the Cubs' issues from after 2016 because Montero and Ross were great framers and there were kind of issues there. But I did I, – I came to love him and enjoy him. And But, you know, he's going to be 31 next year. The catcher is a tough position. Are the Cubs contenders next year? Are the Cubs contenders in 2024? Where does Wilson fit into that? If you do give him an extension, is he on the backside of that? So I do kind of think now the smart move with Wilson playing as well as he is, as tough as it is to hear it, we already we, we made the trades all last year. So now I'm ready. And I think the smart move is to trade Wilson. And I think that's where this is going. I do just think that if the Cubs have any designs on contending, who are you going to have catch that's going to be better than an extended Wilson Contreras? I don't think the Jan Gomes, PJ Higgins combo is, is going to quite produce that much. Miguel Amaya, who knows when or even if he's going to be ready at this point, he's missed a lot of action with injuries. I just think if the Cubs have any designs on contending next year and in 2024, keeping Wilson is the move, just because I don't know that you're going to get anybody at catcher who's going to do a better job than what Wilson does for this team. I mean, you might not get anybody that's better, 
But and, and I don't even know if the Cubs are going to be contending in 2023. That's, and that's the question. The and that's a fair question. I'm but saying if, if. Also, Wilson's probably going to be on the downside. So he's probably not going to be as good as he was this year either. And the, the obviously the idea and the goal would be to get more talent back in. The more talent you get back in, maybe it's not going to all be, maybe it's not going to be a catcher. Maybe you don't replace Wilson at catcher, but you come up with an adequate, adequate solution and you start improving other areas of the ball club. So I don't know. I just think. You, you try to accumulate as much talent as you possibly can when a team like is in the position of the Cubs. And I think that's just really the position that they're in right now. And I, I think that this decision was made last year. Like, I don't think you trade all those guys away and then you have this team this year and then you hold on to Wilson. I don't think that really makes sense. Well, I think there's an important name we're all forgetting here. Coy Hill. Yeah. There's a guy that could be in the mix for the Cubs moving forward. Um, actually, one other point on Wilson that I do want to make, something that's a little bit different about Wilson and the core that was traded last year. Chris Bryant last year, Anthony Rizzo last year, Javi, these were guys that were not playing at their peak. These were guys that were maybe two or three years removed from their best years in a Cubs uniform. That's what's different about Wilson. This is the best we've seen him. He looks so damn good, which on one hand means the return should be great. On the other hand, it's a little tougher to get rid of a guy who's peaking than a guy who maybe you think those best years are behind him. And one, one point about the three guys you mentioned, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and the Cubs will see Rizzo in New yep. York this weekend. Yep. All three of those guys have had pretty rough starts to this season uh, with their new or new old teams. Rizzo stayed with the Yankees, of course. They, really, really rough. Like Javi is having one of the worst offensive seasons of his career. Rizzo is having a rough time. Brian's been injured. And when he's been healthy, he has not managed to hit a home run in a Rockies uniform yet. We could spend hours sitting here nuance and devil's advocate and going back and forth on whether the Cubs made the right move. I don't know that I ever really want to have that conversation because there'd be a lot of really painful and really embarrassing admissions in that conversation. But it's something I've been chewing on for two or three weeks now is what if the Cubs had kept these guys and all three of them had continued to struggle? And, and, and that, yeah, exactly. That's the sort of thing you just sit there and you go, woof, like that may be better left to the hypotheticals. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think the Cubs made the right moves. I think they were tough moves to make. I think the failures of the Cubs kind of really came in 2018, 2019 that led to the move 2020 that led to the moves that had to be made in 2021. I think like, why is Bryce Harper not a member of the Chicago Cubs? That's yeah. a failure to me like that. When people start talking about, you know, they're ripping on the Cubs for being cheap and all that stuff to me, it's like my criticism of the Cubs of being cheap is in 2018, 2019, when you had opportunities to add to the core with you know, young players, long-term players that can extend this and you didn't do that. Like yeah. signing Eric Sogard for $5 million. I don't care about that. That doesn't bother me. Like if people were complaining about, but when you have a guy like Bryce Harper who would fit so perfectly, that's when I get like, okay, that's cheap. Um, that's my criticism. And I think it got to the point where those decisions were made then kind of forced the Cubs to be in a position where 2021. And unfortunately I think Jed in hindsight, made the right decisions they were tough decisions somebody had to do them but i think jed didn't make the right decisions again someday we we will if not we somebody maybe people smarter than us will sit down and there will be a very spirited back and forth roundtable discussion right right decision versus wrong decision emotional versus versus intelligent and that's that's going to be a very interesting conversation someday yeah and it just goes to say how much harder it is to be a real life general manager or director of baseball ops. Like we can sit here and say, Oh, you got to get rid of Hayward. I wouldn't want to be the guy to call Jason Hayward into my no. office and say, Hey man, see ya. We're cutting you tomorrow. Or this is it. You know, pack your bags. You're getting out of here. It's tough. And uh, it's funny when I play OOTP, I got no problem cutting guys and trading them and signing them to a contract. Ruthless. Them out. Ruthless. Totally ruthless. The way that I am as a baseball fan and the way that I operate in that managerial mode completely different yes. so uh, much respect honestly for jed hoyer because he he had a very difficult thing he had to do last year and more of it is coming this year i do think wilson is going to be traded but to your point jeremy he's brought back some really good talent and it seems like the cubs are trending in the right direction i just hope once they get good the checkbook opens up and i and i just want to just to get back to jed a little bit he was also put in a very tough situation by Theo, yeah. who basically had all the highs and then walked out the door and yeah. left Jed to deal with the best. So yeah. and it's like, you know, I love Theo, Pearl Jam fan, of course. Oh, uh, you got the shirt on. Yeah. So Theo, great. One of the great, you know, you can never not love Theo. 
But, you know, there were some kind of things at the end there where there's some poor decision-making kind of fit into that spot. And it's like, okay, now Jed has to deal with this. And Theo just walked out the door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of a boss move, though, you know, yeah. from Theo, really. Um, just seen a lot of criticism, as you would expect, from uh, frustrated Cubs fans with both Jed, with David Ross. And it's like, just pump the brakes here, right? Like, I, I got no issues with David Ross right now. I'll start judging David Ross once there's talented players on that roster. Are there little things that he does that I would disagree with? Of course, but that's every manager ever. I, let's just see but where he hasn't this walked goes. the guy with one, two count yet. So yeah, he's not yeah. done that tough day on the South side here. Um, speaking of managers though, Joe Girardi gets canned in Philadelphia. They just can't stop winning since he's out of there. Seven game winning streak. Jeremy, you're talking about Bryce Harper, massive grand slam against Anaheim the other day. Yeah. That was one of those moments where he hits a grand slam. He comes back into the huddle at home plate there at the ballpark in Philly. He gets a high five from Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber. And I'm going, God damn it, in a different universe, that's the Cubs at Wrigley Field right now. And maybe some combination of those guys, maybe two of them doing the same thing at Wrigley Field. Uh, another guy, our guy, Joe Madden, gets canned in Anaheim. Doesn't so much matter there. 14 straight losses. This is 97 Cubs vibes, Randall, from Anaheim. Uh, Ron, I think it needs to be said. Since you picked the Angels as, quote unquote, your team, mm -hmm. one of your, your favorite stories of this first half, I'm not sure they've won a they've game. They've not won. They no, they've not they've won, not won a game. You, you, have, you have these powers, Ronan. And every time you say Cubs are going to win this game and it's like the fifth inning and they're up five to nothing, I get a little bit worried. You, you've got powers and you need to learn to control them. You got you to watch where you aim that. Um, but the angels, they tried all walking up to Nickelback songs last night. The baseball gods, they don't like that. They will smite you. They will smite go. you if you all walk to, to, to Nickelback songs. It's it did be, not work. It did be not work. Tonight, I would think, right? <laughs> you got to keep trying. It did not just, work. Just, just guess, play the, the funerary march every time man, anyone walks up. I guess up. it was the uh, brainchild of Tim Buss. The former it was, Cub. former Cub coach. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, part of uh, Joe's old staff <laughs> in Anaheim, and uh, things not going so well. I will say this, though. Anaheim has lost 14 straight games. They are still in second place in the American League West, despite that long losing streak. They're tied with Texas, nine and a half games out of first. Oakland has lost eight games. They're 16 and a half games out of first place. So Not a strong division. Not, not no. a strong division at all. Um, the Cubs continue in a strong division. They're on the road still this weekend. They're going to New York, the best team in baseball, the Yankees. 40 wins, 16 losses, Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMayhew, lots of old faces. Marcus Stroman is going to be on the bump tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Randall, let's get some weather for Yankee Stadium and when the Cubs come home to play the Padres, then we'll get some final thoughts here on Cubs-Yankees. It is that time once again, that time where we provide you the weather report for the next two series provided to us, as always, by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him and them on Twitter at Alexander Hall and at Cubs Weather. And Alexander will be at one of these games in New York. So we hope Alexander gets to bring home a win for the Friday night game, 7.05 Eastern time, 6.05 Central time. Temperature will be about 79 degrees. It will be comfortable with a light breeze out to center field. The Saturday night game is 6.15 Central time, 73 degrees with a slight chance of a shower. The wind to the left side at about five miles per hour. And then finally, a Sunday day game, not a Sunday night game on ESPN. Praise be 12.35 p.m. Central time, 77 degrees at game time, a slight chance of a shower and the wind again to the left side, five to 10 miles per hour. Alexander describes the series vibe as beautiful, comfortable, late spring air. Perfect, if not for that slight chance of a shower. So again, Alexander, hopefully you're able to bring home a win uh, from Yankee Stadium. The Cubs come home to play San Diego for four games. And let me tell you, if you have complained that this spring and this early summer have been too cold, have I got good news for you. The series vibe is, and I quote, Hot as hell and humid too. My two favorite H's, uh, hot and humid. Absolutely. Mm. The Monday night game, 7.05 p.m. Uh, Central time. The temperature will be 90 degrees. It will be humid and the wind will be blowing out to center field, 15 miles per hour. Tuesday night, another 7.05 game. Temperature will be uh in the mid to upper 80s, there is a slight chance of a thunderstorm and the wind will be blowing out to right field at 15 miles per hour. Wednesday night, temperatures again in the mid to upper 80s, again humid, again 705. The wind will be light and out to right field at five miles per hour or variable. And then finally, a Thursday day game at Wrigley. 
1.20 p.m., again, temperatures will be hot, they will be humid, and the winds will be light and variable. So if you love sitting at Wrigley and sweating, this is a great series for you to grab tickets to. San Diego, not a hot ticket. Monday night is a cowboy hat giveaway, maybe. So maybe you can sweat into that if you want, but it will feel like summer here at Wrigley. So as always, we thank Alexander for providing us with the weather. Again, find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall and find the account he shares with two other fine gentlemen at Cubs Weather. We recommend following them both. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you, guys. And uh, boy, hot and humid. Jeremy, any chance you're out at any of those Padres games? Yeah, looking into it, trying to get to more Cubs games. Uh, definitely make a, an attempt to get out to uh, see the Padres, who the Cubs have owned over the past couple yeah. of years. You know, they've played very well against the Padres. Uh, they played well against them this year, won the series against them last year. So, you know, got to keep that streak alive. Well, the Yankees are rolling, right? I mean, just uh, exceeding expectations. Everybody thought they were going to be good. It will be great to see Anthony Rizzo, but it's the other ex-Cub that I want to ask you both about, DJ LeMahieu. This was one of the first moves Theo made when he came to Chicago. He traded DJ LeMahieu to Colorado. LeMahieu would go on to win a batting title with the Rockies. And Randall, you can roll your eyes and go, oh, does it really count? He won a batting title with the Rockies. He I was thinking the- it. So he's the only player in the modern era with a batting title in both leagues. DJ, DJ LeMahieu has exceeded expectations. I think we can all agree to that. I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, did any of us see this coming? No, not I'm even a little bit. Glad when they got rid of him, he's ended up having one hell of a career. No, I, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I remember him at LSU, and I was kind of excited when the Cubs drafted him. He made it to the big leagues with the Cubs. And, you know, he always kind of had a level swing. I, I Even when he was in Colorado – with that bandbox, I was like, okay, it was kind of made for him. And uh, Yankee same is kind of a bandbox as well, but he's been exceed expectations, been yeah. really good baseball player. So, you know, Cubs got Ian Stewart. That didn't quite work out. I think we'd rather have had DJ LeMayhew, uh, you know, but uh, I don't think anybody would have thought out of that trade that DJ LeMayhew would be the guy that's still in baseball, you know, 10 years later. Um, so I, you know, it works out good for him. Uh, I root for him. I, the Cubs, you know, that Yankees team, you mentioned Rizzo, you mentioned LeMahieu, you got Chapman, you got Torres. So there's, there's a few guys on that Yankees team. Yeah. And I don't know that anyone would have necessarily seen this coming. It, it'll go down as probably one of the unilateral poor moves for Theo in his tenure as overseeing the Cubs. Even more so when you consider getting back Ian Stewart in that deal, who the most notable thing he did as a a Cub was uh, having contact with individuals that he maybe shouldn't have online. Uh, Yeah, it'll it'll go down as a deal that even Theo is on record as saying, yeah, I messed that up. Nothing you can do about it now. And again, I think playing in Coors probably really helped elevate him to the player that he is. But uh, yeah, it would have been nice maybe to have a bat like that through some of the more recent seasons. Pretty cool story about him in the last couple of days too. Jeremy, you mentioned LeMahieu played his college ball in LSU, played his high school ball outside of Detroit. Uh, up in Michigan, and I guess he bought and renovated a new ballpark for his high school team. They were having some financial issues. He was able to take care of it. And the thing that I like about it, he didn't put his name on the ballpark. And I don't know why that's kind of badass to me. He built it. He funded it. He took care of it. He didn't feel the need to put his name right in the middle of it. I, I think that's kind of the boss move. I've been to other ballparks that are named after players that have made donations. If that's what you want to do, it's your money. But I think it's a little bit more boss to just do it and leave the naming rights alone. I think that's pretty cool and good for those high school players that they get a nice facility there in a pretty rough weather place in uh, eastern Michigan. He's anonymous, and and that's pretty cool. He's anonymous. Of course, I'm sure he he tells everybody that he's anonymous, but he's anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. Not bad. Uh, Well, it'll be interesting. Cubs and Yankees, and then they come back home. Uh, Before we get into Jeremy's birthday bash here, Randall, there's a couple minor leaguers that you think maybe are flying under the radar, deserve a little bit of attention. Who do you got for us today? Ronan, I got two names that I'm going to discuss tonight, and I won't take too long with these, and they are kind of on opposite ends of uh, the prospect spectrum. The first I want to discuss is Johendrik Pinyango, <laughs> and that's a that's a real fun name to say. That's P-I-N with a tilde, A-N-G-O, Johendrik 
Pinyango. He is 20 years old. He was signed by the Cubs as an international free agent out of Venezuela in 2018. He right now is playing for the South Bend Cubs, who won on Marquee. And that was a game we recommended you watch because it's always good to see the minor leagues on Marquee. They should be doing more of that, if we're being completely honest. He is tied for the second youngest on that team with Ed Howard, who of course is out for the season, and Pete Crow Armstrong, who just arrived in South Bend. The numbers aren't necessarily eye-popping. He has only OPSing 757. He's only getting on base at 303, but the power, the power stands out to you. He has hit nine home runs in only 198 plate appearances at high A South Bend this year. And again, he is 20 years old. There are some defensive questions. He probably profiles best as a left fielder or more specifically a DH, but the power has really come this year. He has hit more home runs this season than he did in the previous seasons combined. And that is, that's an interesting development. You have a guy that young, he leads the team in home runs with nine. You have a guy that young, he has a power stroke developing. And that's the sort of thing that you can look out for at, at a ball is guys sort of developing that one useful tool. And we talk all the time about the top prospects, the Pete Crow Armstrongs, the Ed Howard, the Owen Casey's and so on. But your minor league system isn't just two or three guys at every level. You're fielding a full team and your minor league system isn't just about eventually getting guys to the major leagues in your organization. It's about potentially using those as trade chips as well. And every player who's able to do something worthwhile on the baseball field in the minor leagues has potential to help the organization one way or the other. The other guy I highlighting tonight, he's kind of on the opposite end. He's a little older, and that's Matt Mervis. Matt Mervis, who was signed as a non-drafted free agent by the Cubs last season after he did not go drafted in 2020. And again, that's not a knock on a player. The 2020 draft was only five rounds. It was the pandemic season. He is 24 years old. He's at double A, so he's a little old for the level, but he has absolutely torn the cover off the ball this season. Between South Bend and Tennessee this year, he is hitting 339. He's OPSing. 1055. He's hit 14 home runs. He's driven in 48. That OPS is very slugging driven. Uh, the on-base percentage is very batting average heavy, but with the, it's not as if the Cubs have any long-term solutions at first base necessarily, you know, Schwindel, we love you, but I don't know that I'd call you a, a long-term solution necessarily. And you have the DH in both leagues now. So if you do come by a long-term first baseman, you can still always use a powerful bat like that. So again, he's old for the level, but he's clearly got it figured out in the minor leagues. And again, you like to see guys like that advance. Maybe it's a player who manages to make it to the major leagues. And if you even if you don't get there till you're 26 or 27, if you can produce, doesn't matter how old you are. So nobody's calling either of these guys top prospects. I don't know that either of them is necessarily a huge trade chip, but these are two players who are productive in their own ways and they're playing in the Cubs system and you cannot possibly have too many productive players in your minor league system. It will always sort itself out. So two guys who are flying under the radar a little bit that I wanted to highlight, Yo Hendrick Pinyango and Matt Mervis, two very different names, two very different players, but both playing in the Cubs minor league system. Randall, I am now and forever going to refer to you as Yo Randall. You do that anyway. Like, I, you know, how, how is that different from every other night? I, uh, I like that. That is a very cool name, actually, and a pretty neat story there, too. Um, good stuff, Randall. A uh, lot of minor leaguers, and I totally agree with your point at the beginning there, too. Marquee put these minor league games on. You know, even if they're on tape delay, right? Even if the game isn't live, just put rebroadcasts of these minor league games on there. Uh, but I'm sure there's all that wonderful programming that they're putting on the rest of the day that's more exciting. To that very point, I turned my television on about 10 minutes to six with the South Bend game starting at six. And I was just assailed, assaulted, overcome by one of these betting shows and a guy telling me why <laughs> I should bet on Tony Gonsolin to win the NL Cy Young. And I'm sure it's something to do with the odds on the bet. You place X amount. If he wins it, you're going to get a huge windfall. But my God, how do you people live like this? There is a, there is no rather shortage of uh, sports gambling content out there. And it's kind of amazing to me. There's one that pops up for me all the time on Twitter. I'm not following it. It's one of those ads. It's this older man in his basement, just reading like the picks of the day or the things you got to do. And I think it was Stan or, or one of uh, our friends here at the podcast was saying he's blocked every account that he could trying to get rid of this old man <laughs> in his basement reading out the bets. He can't do it. So I, it's, it's amazing to me. It's yeah. all pervasive. You cannot possibly escape it. 
Well, I think I mentioned this to you guys the other day too. I mean, it's one thing for ESPN to put the lineup. Uh, Harriet and I were at dinner a couple weeks ago and they had like the local ABC news on. It was like the six o'clock news and it was the sports segment. It was on mute. We were in a Mexican restaurant. We couldn't hear it. And the lady that was doing the sports update was reading the over under on the Nuggets game that night. And I'm like, this is the six o'clock news. Why is this on the news broadcast? It is all pervasive. There is no escaping it. I, I would just want to point out uh, um, now that it's as pervasive as Randall says, you know, every team has their uh, endorsement deals or whatever partnerships. I, I was pretty amused the other day by the White Sox. They were tweeting out their lineups, you know, um, for the for the game, along with, you know, we catch the game on, you know, this day's game is on NBCS Chicago at, you know, 730. And then at the end, they were doing a little fan duel and they were doing the over under on the runs to score. And there were some incredible self owns. Like, just oh, no. like, it's like, it's like two and a half for the White Sox runs. And I'm like, two and a half, that's so low for an over under for an offense to score. It's like, maybe you guys should be tweeting that out. Like, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's just, not, it's not the ringing endorsement easy. you think it is. Yeah. It's like, we think there's a 50% chance this White Sox lineup is going to score less than two runs. Do you think so or no? That's wild. Absolutely wild. Well, we're here to celebrate your birthday, Jeremy, which was back on the uh, 6th. Uh, Before you get into all the Cubs stats, I want to ask you something. Who do you think, and maybe you don't know, but I'm curious, who do you think is the most famous person other than you born on June 6th? Like, do you know of any celebrities or famous people? I'll just pick a random guy. I'm going to say Jeremy Bentham. Interesting. What I I thought you were going to say was Nathan Hale. Ooh, he was born. Yeah, that's right in your wheelhouse. One other question on this front. Can you name a Chicago Cub great that was born on your birthday? Chicago Cub. Before I, I, I just want to correct myself. German Bethlehem actually died on my birthday. He wasn't. Oh, born. come that on. That's the, not the that's point. the complete opposite. Complete Please. opposite. A Chicago Cub great that was born on my birthday. Yeah. There's um, also a Chicago White Sox great that was born I know, on your birthday a couple I years know. before you. I know Nicholas Jalmerson uh, for the Blackhawks was born the exact day as me. So that always made me feel good when there was like, oh, yeah, that guy's the same age to me to the day. Um, A White Sox and a Cub were born on June 6th. And remember, when I say great, I'm talking in my world. Right. Now, these are two major league players that you saw. In fact, I would argue you probably saw both of them in person at some point in your life. One Cub, one White Sox. I'm just going to throw a complete guess out. I would say Ricky Gutierrez. No, that's a good one. Brooks Kieschnick was born on June 6, 1972. And then the White Sox, uh, I, I, let me see if I can pull up a stat. He was also born on June 6, 1972. This member of the White Sox played for the team from 2000 until 2003. And shockingly, I never would have guessed this, had a 13-year major league career. Can I guess? Yeah, Go for it, I'm going to guess Kelly Wunsch. Good guess, but uh, afraid not. Oh, oh well. From 2000 to 2003, I'm going to guess, oh, that. I'm going to guess. Also uh, played for Atlanta, uh, Kansas City, Boston, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. Wow, that's a lot of teams. Um, I know. I, I can't believe his career was this long. Nearly a thousand games. Wow. I uh, away a little bit too. I'm he was thinking, a position player. Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna guess like Brooks Fordyce. <laughs> Tony Graffinino. Tony wow. Graffinino. Oh, Kansas yeah. City. I remember him on Kansas. Now, Jeremy, City. you also share a birthday with Anthony Rendon. So yeah. for all the for all the journeymen you have sharing your birthday, you have a, a pretty damn good hitter out there in Anaheim. You also share a, a, a birthday with Jeremy Affelt. So two, two long running, enduring Jeremy's sharing the birthday of June 6th. Yeah. You know, I, I actually think I knew Anthony Rendon. I might've known Affelt just because of the shared name Jeremy, but uh, you know, I'll take Rendon. I, I remember I watched, I went to a game. I saw Rendon play at Rice uh, in the Caldero series. So I'm a big Ren, Anthony Rendon fan. That's cool. Well, let's hear right. How have the Cubs fared in your life? 35 years. On June 6th. Yeah, so the Cubs, it's kind of been an interesting kind of little uh, time period over those that 35-year period. From my gathering, 
uh, if this is accurate, the Cubs have played in 30 games over that time period. And uh, I believe the Cubs are 15 and 15. Ooh, so pretty even right down. Now, the first game on my birthday in 1987, the Chicago Cubs beat the hated St. Louis Cardinals. Excellent. Five, ah, an excellent omen. A six to five game where the Cubs starting pitcher was Jamie Moyer. Only two pitchers that day. Jamie Moyer wow. and Lee Smith closed wow. it out. Uh, Bob Forsh pitched for the uh, Cardinals. You had Keith Moreland with a home run. You had Schwan Dunstan getting a double. You had Sandberg getting a double. Moreland got another double. So, you know, you had some – Andre Dawson went two for four. So it was a good day on the north side there. Yeah. Uh, one game I remember would be on my 16th birthday. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, I do remember. I, when I, while I was getting my license, the Cubs were unfortunately losing to the New York Yankees, and that was a huge series because it was the first time the Yankees, I believe, had made it back to Wrigley Field since the 1932 World Series. And that was June 6, 2003. You had David Wells going against Carlos Zambrano in a yeah. 5-3 loss. By uh, the, Unfortunately, Zambrano gave up five runs in six innings. And, of was course, a Friday game. It was the Friday game. That is correct. Yeah. I was going to say a lot. A lot happened in that series. Yeah, that was the Cubs. That, that was the Cubs defying Clemens' chance at three hundred wins. That was Hesop Choi hitting his head on yeah. the infield dirt. And that was the Sunday night game. Joe Borowski picking off the mm-hmm. pinch runner Charles Gibson with the game on the line for the third out of the inning and the final out of the game. A lot happened in that awesome. series. Awesome. Now on my birthday, it's been weird. It's kind of been a team of streaks a little bit. From 2003 to 2012, the Cubs only won uh, two games Wow! on my birthday. And I believe, I think they went two and eight during that time period. However, since 2014, the Cubs have only lost one game on my birthday. And that was in 2019 to the Colorado Rockies. It was a 3-1 loss. Now, I think the most memorable game, at least for us, on my birthday was a game that Randall and I attended together when Jason Hayward hit a game-winning grand wow. slam to right field against the Phillies, against the Phillies. 2018. 2018. Yep. I'll always remember sitting all the way at the back of the concourse because that's where the cheap tickets were right in front of the yellow line. So for that night, the podcast was in front of the yellow line and seeing the ball disappear above my very narrow field division and then seeing it sort of come down in the bleachers and screaming and screaming some more and seeing some other people screaming and some high-fiving and some more screaming. I'll always remember that. So if I have my math correct, it's a little bit weird of how the kind of played out. At home, the Cubs are 12 and two on my birthday. Dominate. Dominate. And on the road, they are three and 13. So quite the split there where the Cubs yeah. are dominant at home. So whenever there's home games, which has been in this streak of the Cubs not losing since 2014 on my birthday, well, one loss against the Rockies, they've played one game on the road on that during that streak. And then the streak of them losing pretty much all the games from 2012 to, to 20 to 2003, they played all but three games on the road. So it's kind of been a crazy kind of like a streaky kind of way where it's like they play all these road games, they lose them all. And then they play all these home games and they win them all. So it's been an interesting experience. They are 15 and 15 though. So, you know, it's been some good times, been some bad times, but overall it's been kind of middling. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, I know you like to dabble occasionally in the old sports wagering. If the Cubs are home next year on June 6th, you go all in. That's going to be a win for the Cubs. At least they've been Mm -hmm. playing real well at home for you on your birthday. Uh, That's really good stuff, Jeremy. It's always fun. Yes, it's an arbitrary, random date, but it is always neat. And I think what's really cool is that the day you were born, Cubs didn't play on the day I was born. Uh, The day you were born, not only was it a win, but uh, a bunch of players you got to see, from Jamie Moyer to Dunstan to Rhino. That's really cool stuff. And uh, obviously Dawson, who uh, namesake your dog these days. So really cool. That's great. A 6-5 win. Over the over the hated St. Louis Cardinals at Wrigley Field, I imagine it was a great day. Well, I know it was a great day because I was born. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, let's have many more birthdays for all three of us, Randall. We will be celebrating your half birthday. Uh, would that be July 13th or August it is 13th? July? It is July 13th. My birthday is okay. January 13th. You add six months to that. Six months is half of a year. You get yourself to July 13th. Seven one three. All right, that's going to be a big big show here, especially in your year. 
2022. Well, that's all we got here for this episode of Behind the Yellow Line. We will be back after the Cubs battle the Yankees and the Padres, and uh, hopefully we got some exciting things to talk about uh, next time we come back here. It should be an interesting weekend over in the Bronx, and uh, maybe the Cubs can sneak out a win or two or even three. We'll see where that goes. Randall is telling me, damn it, Ronan, you're ending the show too early, and you're right. This is our 72nd podcast, and uh, who are the Cubs to wear 72 over the years? Well, we'll we'll keep this quick because we are wrapping it up. There have been only two Cubs to wear 72 over the years. Catcher Robert Machado wore number 72 for the sainted 2001 and less sainted 2002 Chicago Cubs. And a little more recently, Tyson Miller, briefly a Cubs pitcher, wore it in the year 2020, the pandemic shortened season. And real quick, Ronan, we are getting to the point where most of the rest of the way, if the numbers have any wearers, it is not too many. There is one number. We're still a ways away from it. There's only one number that has more than three wearers all the way until double zero. Can you guess what that number is? It is a number near and dear to your heart. 99. You are correct. 99 has four wearers in team history. I cannot wait. Uh, about uh, 20 weeks from now, so about another half year, when we get to behind the yellow line, number 99, and we can celebrate that sainted number in Cubs and Ronan's history. Yeah, give me all of these to talk Todd Hundley with you all here. Uh, but we'll save that for a couple of shows from now. Go Cubs this weekend. Get some wins against those Yankees, DJ LeMay, Hugh, Rizzo, and go Stroman back in New York. We'll see how that goes. We'll Hometown. see you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.